We're very excited to have one of our own young adults and brothers in the house tonight with us. Well, you're always with us, but actually sharing the word tonight. And um, yeah, let me pray for you, and then you can go. Mm. Father, we thank you for Stephen. Thank you that you have placed the word in his heart and his tongue. I pray that you'll bless him this evening as he speaks, that you'll speak through him, that you'll give him peace, that he'll be able to speak clearly, and that you're, you will really... Um, Plant seeds in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Thanks, Darlene. Appreciate it. How's everyone doing tonight? You all good? See some people excited that side there. I left. Richie. <laughs> so just to give you a little bit of context around the message tonight. So because it is our last evening service Tonight, I'm going to be speaking on chapter 4 and 5 in James. So while I'm preaching, please be praying for me because that would be appreciated. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of just going to do like an overview of James tonight, just kind of like wrap up the book. But I do suggest that you go to the morning services if you can, just to get a little bit more in depth because I'm not going to like go in depth to every single verse like they would in um, the morning services. So I do want to tell you a little story that is true because it happened like a week ago and I did get permission from Nicole. Um, so I'm practicing for marriage because I heard that's what you have to do when you're in uh, a married relationship. So I'm practicing. So what happened was last week, Friday, we had, so Hatfield has what they call the Leadership Academy. And with the Leadership Academy, there's the ministry school. So they had their like year-end breakfast on Friday morning, and so I was like, it starts at nine. So just a little bit more context. Nicole's the person that's always on time. I'm the person who's never on time. So I'm going to try and be on time tonight, but legit, like it's no matter what I do, I'm just never on time. I don't know why. The Lord is helping me. So, <laughs> so basically what happened was it, the, the breakfast starts at nine o'clock, um, we had plans, but we didn't really have plans. So it was like, in my mind, I thought, okay, I'm going to fetch you at this time, and then we'll come to the church together. But that's not exactly how the Friday went. So wake up, running late, as usual, um, racing to get to the car, getting the car. And I'm trying to call her. I'm like, hey, you know, like thinking to myself, I need to fetch her. Is she ready? But she's not answering. And I'm just like, oh, come on, man. And then there's traffic too. And you must know, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but for somebody who is late all the time and then you get into traffic, it's just not good. Like it, it just, it doesn't work because then your Christian nature is really tested. It's like, why do I always end up behind the slow people? Anyway, so this is what's happening. This is like legit. I call her, no answer. I think I called her a couple of times. Turns out she had already gone to the church because she was probably like, well, nothing was finalized, so I'm going to be on time like I usually am, and he will just come when he does. So I get to her house expecting that she's going to be there, and then I'm like, oh, she's not here. That's great. So now I'm getting really irritated because, number one, I'm late, which I don't even know why I get irritated because it's my own fault. Um, but it happens all the time. So I'm irritated because I'm running late. And then number two, she's not answering her phone. Like the audacity, you know. Why are you not answering your phone? Eventually, she answers her phone. And I'm like, why aren't you answering your phone? And she's like, but I'm here already. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm in my own irritated little zone. And then I'm eventually like, you know, it's fine. I'll see you now. So I'm like two minutes away from the church, as I get into the church building, here comes the Holy Spirit, and he's just like, actually, you're in the wrong. And I'm just like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yes, you are in the wrong. And it was this little conflict, but that's what happened. And then I realized, shucks, I'm in the wrong. Like, it's my bad. So <laughs> walking into the church, I'm just feeling like, oh, my gosh, why did I freak out, whatever? And then I'm, I walk in and I just know, apologize. You were not wrong. I was wrong. I was the idiot in the situation. So sorry. 
But it was really awesome because I experienced something beautiful about this Friday morning. Because in my, you know, craziness and in my sinful nature, thinking that I am right when I'm clearly not right, clearly thinking uh, or claiming onto a sense of entitlement, the Lord kind of showed me something. And it's interesting because I was going through the book of James, and it was like, oh, Lord, when does this end? Like, really? Because every single time I think I'm there, it's just like, no, you're not. And it was just awesome because in chapter 3, it says that those who sow peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And I just experienced this beautiful moment because when I walked into the building and I just knew that there's this conviction that was on me and I, I just went to and I'm like, I'm sorry. I almost felt like at that moment peace was sown because she didn't respond in a bad way. She just responded with love and I was just like, Jesus, wow, <laughs> you're awesome, man. And, and it's just so interesting because I, I think all of us get into a space of, of conflict within our inner selves where we, we want to do things of Christ, but so often it's like the Bible is this mirror that's just in front of us the whole time and be like, do you see what it is, but you see what you are? And it's just like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And, and it's a beautiful picture actually because the Lord is inviting us to this space of beautiful conviction that leads to a life of repentance where the Holy Spirit comes in and actually transforms the inner, inner works of our being and actually makes us look a little bit more like Christ. Even if it was one moment of me being extremely irritated and frustrated and lashing out on someone who did nothing to a moment where I was humbled and there God came and reconciled what could have been broken. I think it's such a beautiful picture of who God is and what He wants for us as a not only a community, yeah, but just a community all over the world. And you know, in James chapter 4, if you do want to go to your Bibles, you can read with me. I'm going to start on verse 1. It's just this awesome picture because this, this is the space that I was in where, where James is actually talking to this Christian community. He's leaping out of chapter 3 where he's talking about the wisdom from above and then the earthly wisdom. And then he goes and he says to them, he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not the evil desires that are in you? Which is a strong word. I've been, in, I've been in a lot of meetings in this place where I feel like there's quarrels about to happen. And it even comes from me because I think that I know what's best. Sometimes uh, just even for, for church in itself. And it's actually sometimes an evil desire in myself. So I just want to disclaimer, when I preach this message to you tonight, I'm preaching with a heart that's filled with real conviction. Because I see the more that I read the scripture, the more I realize how even though that there's a grace on, on my life, and, but I realize how I actually get it wrong. And I think all of us, in real talk, can identify with that. I don't think there's anyone in this room that can be like, I get this right. Because that's a lie. And James continues to, to talk to these, these people and he says, he says, is it not the, the desires that are within you that, that cause these fights? And he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Then he goes on to say that you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you do ask God, you don't receive it because you ask him with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. And that's a strong word. Because I literally feel like James is holding that mirror in front of us. It just reminds me of what he, what he was talking about in chapter 1 with, you know, be the doer of the word. Don't come to the, the scripture and then walk away. And, and it's like looking into the mirror, but then literally forgetting who you were and what you looked like. But he's actually calling us out in the way that we practice, the way that we live our lives as Christians. 
And I'm just going to kind of contrast. So I'm going to be jumping around scripture, but, but this is, it's just interesting because it's tied in so much with this story where I realized that it was my sinful desire that, that actually caused this so, somewhat quarrel. And I wonder if any one of you could even identify with that, that, that sinful part of you, whatever, that might cause some sort of conflict, whether it is in a relationship or just somewhere else in your your lives, any sphere of your life. So I'm going to be jumping around with this, this concept of, now I'm not really going to the wisdom from above and the earthly wisdom, but it's more like the ways of the world versus the ways of God. And I think in most contexts when we talk about that, it sounds like, oh man, that's turn and burn kind of stuff. But it's really not. It's just this awesome invitation for us to receive what God has for us. Because James is busy telling this um, Christian community, he's, he's busy warning them against certain practices and certain doctrines, but he doesn't just come there and like lay down warnings. He actually says, don't do this because it's, it's that kind of thing of let go of drunkenness so you can pick up sobriety. Let go of lust so that you can pick up purity. It's, it's, it's that kind of message because he knows what, what God wants for us and, and God is speaking to us because he wants us to be transformed people that actually look like Him, that represents His glory, that, that really show people who Christ is and, and just this pool of, of just God, like everywhere that we go. It's just, it's God. And that's what God wants to do in us. So I'm going to speak a little bit about the ways of the world right now and then I'll shift gears to what the ways of Christ or what the ways of this kingdom looks like. And what that could mean for us as a community. So it's just interesting. So I'm going to highlight three points uh, just in the ways of the world because that's what I find in the text. And the first one is obviously selfishness. That's what I could relate to in that Friday morning because I was being selfish. I'm right. You're wrong. No, that's not how it works. And that was, that was something that hit me really deep that morning because I had, to, I had to have that mirror in front of me. I had to have the Word of God in front of me. I had to have His presence speaking directly to my selfishness in that moment. Because the ways of the world will always say, it's about what I can get. It's about what I can do. It's about my glory. It's about how hard I worked. It's, it's my rewards. It's... It's all of that. But I mean, even think about Jesus. He came to this earth. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to let go of, of his uh, sovereignty, but he chose to humble himself. He chose to do it. He let it go. He came with a, a spirit of humility. I, I, I think that's the contrast that we always uh, wrestle with because we're so accustomed to this sinful way of living this because it's in us it's it's our nature to do things that please us rather than please god and it was in it was in that moment there was selfishness it's it's a state of of really just i'm just going to do what i want and i don't care what that means i don't care if it's going to cause a fight between us i don't care if it's going to mean that that god not answering my prayers because it's interesting what he said here is he said that you ask but you don't receive a lot of times we tell people, nah, like, just keep praying, man. Just, just keep praying. God will answer your prayers. What happens if he has with a straight nah? You, <laughs> you want to use it for your own good. You're not using it to build people up. You're not using it to reflect my glory, to show people who I am. And I think sometimes that's just a real call, even for myself. Just repent, man. Repent. There's, there's a kingdom that wants to take a hold of me. And transform me. And so we see this, this selfishness that was being produced in, in the Jewish Christians that James was addressing. And he was telling them, it's that thing that's going to cause you to be distant from God. It's not that they were separated, but God is not going to come and shine his, his light and his glory and all of that things, all, all those wonderful things on somebody who's selfish. Somebody who doesn't care about his will. It's real talk. It's, sometimes we don't want to talk about these things, but it's true. It's God's standard. It's not mine. It's not ours. It's his standard. That's what he's calling us to. 
I'm just going to jump a little bit because I do want to honor what I said. I'm going to try and be on time, so I'm not going to ramble too much. So it's in verse um, 13 all the way to 17. If you have your Bibles, please, it's in chapter 4 still. Um, go there. It says this, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. Isn't that interesting? How often do we also get into a space where it's like, this is what I want to do with my life. This is, I'm going to go to this place next year. I'm going to go to, you know, let's just say, I'm going to go to Cape Town. If anyone's going to Cape Town, it's not a shot at you, but... I'm going to go to Cape Town, and this is what the Lord is telling me to do. This is, you know, and, and it's very easy for us to, like, make assumptions about what the Lord is saying. But it's not necessarily what the Lord is saying. I'm not saying that this is the case all the time. But so, we, we're so quick to just make these plans and be like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is what I'm going to do next year. This is what I'm going to do after that and after this. And I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to make that money. And I'm going to get this fame accumulated to me. And it's just going to be great. I'm just going to have this awesome life. But James is actually taking these people out and he's saying, actually, no. Nah. If you want to identify yourself as a Christian, then what are you doing to actually be in the will of God? Sometimes we get in a space where we, we're just frustrated and we just want to leave. But sometimes God is not saying leave. Sometimes God is just saying, have patience. Stick it through. Endure. Because I'm good. And you don't know what I'm doing behind the scenes. It's very quick for me to get selfish and just claim that I'm right about things. And then to even get prideful and then make up my own plans. And then just go and do my own thing. But how am I serving God? If I'm doing all these things that James is busy warning me against, this doesn't make sense. It's easy for me to make my own plans. It's easy for me to be selfish about my circumstance. And James is talking to people that were in circumstances that were not great. They were being oppressed by rich Christians, by rich Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. They were being oppressed because they were poor. They had... In, in the world's eyes, they had every reason to complain and every reason to say, I'm going to pack up my stuff and I'm going to go there. They had every reason in the world's eyes to say that this is not right, this is what is right, according to the law, whatever. Because their circumstances, they, they were so inflicted by the circumstances. Could you imagine the turmoil that they were facing in, in themselves? It wasn't easy. I mean, being oppressed by rich people and then you're poor. Like, it was the kind of oppression where they wouldn't get their wages or they wouldn't get jobs because they were poor Christians you know, or just Christians. And then they had families to feed. And, you know, so they had every reason to just come and, like, make up these schemes of what they're going to do tomorrow or what they're going to do next year and complain about the situation but God was calling them to be a light where they were. Is it in God's will that they were suffering? I don't think God wants people to suffer. I don't think that's who He is. But was it His will for them to show people who He is? I think so. Because it's not about my kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. Another harsh rebuke. Because... I don't know what that looks like for us today. It could be very different for a lot of us in this room. Where are we being selfish? Where are we making our own plans and being prideful? And then James goes and adds on again in chapter 5. He just doesn't stop. It's ruthless. It really is. 
So in chapter 5, he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and well because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That doesn't sound very comforting. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. They, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, and you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have commended, condemned, and murdered the innocent one. He was not oppressing you, or opposing you, sorry. And I'm not saying that there's anyone here who's busy oppressing people, but it, it, it highlights something else. It highlights greed. It's these rich people who were oppressing these poor people who were working for them were greedy. And for our context, like take it 2,000 years later um, in Hatfield right now, there's not really a form of oppression and slavery in this kind, but where do we hold on to things? I'm, I'm selfish, so therefore I will tell other people that they're wrong and I'm right, and it's my way or the highway. Then I'll even go to God and be prideful enough to tell him that this is how my life is going to look. And then he goes on even further to be like, but you're actually also greedy because there's certain things that you're hoarding and, and it, what strikes me about this text is when he says, your gold and silver are corroded. How easy is it for us to make plans so that we can make a profit because of our selfish desires so that we can accumulate wealth and then live our best life? But he's actually saying in, in the eyes of the kingdom, your wealth is, it becomes corroded. I'm not saying don't go work hard and everything, but, but let's take it to the context of what the scripture is saying. Because what James is really doing, he's, he's going back and forth about this. This is the ways of the world versus this is the ways of Christ. And you as Christians claim that you're a Christian, yet why do you act like this? Why do, you, why do you fight with each other? Why do you make plans that are outside of God? Why do you, I mean, even, even the, the rich people, some of them are Christians and they were oppressing the the poor Christians, and he's even calling them out and saying, why are you being so greedy? Why are you hoarding this stuff to yourself? I'm just thinking even in our context, we, we're not a poverty-stricken church. What does it mean for us as this church? Yeah, does it mean that when we see somebody struggling, does it mean that we let go of a, a KFC meal or whatever it is, or a night out with friends, just so that we don't hoard it and actually bless somebody who's in need. Because I think that's more of the call. It's a, it's a call to, to really recognize where the heart is. And again, I'm going to say, I'm not telling you to do these things so that you can't have your KFC meal. I know some of you have worked hard for that KFC meal. You go and eat that KFC meal. You enjoy it. But I think there's a, a, a bigger call than just Oh yeah, do a good deed. I think it's more heart position where you say you're Christian. You say, and you talk a lot about how we're going to feed the poor and so and so and so. But why am I being greedy with my own finances? I'm telling you, I'm preaching this with a heart full of conviction because I've seen people struggling. And I've done it myself. Where it's like, I can give money to this person or I can buy a coffee tomorrow. Now, if people who know me, I love coffee. So I can be very selfish with that and I can be greedy about it. What does it look like for you? How many times has the Lord laid on your heart to help the person who doesn't have shoes next to you? And then we're just like, nah, I'm okay. It's easy for us to do this because it's part of our nature as human beings. 
We have fallen world. And although we've been redeemed to Christ, remember James is not speaking to people who don't know Christ. He's speaking to people who know Christ. He's speaking to us. We have fallen people, even if we've been redeemed and reconciled. There's a reality of, of sin still living in us. And, and he's saying, I'm warning you against this. But if he is warning us against these things, and the list can go on. Like, I'm just highlighting a few things that he's talking about. The list can really go on. And I don't know what it looks like for your life right now, where you might be like, you know, okay, I see what the word is saying, but I just don't always match up to that. He's warning us against these things so that we can be called into the ways of Christ. Because if we want to mature into the image of Christ, sometimes it comes with a little bit of acknowledgement of the sin that's already existing in us. It's kind of like the law. The law was given not so that it could save people, but just so that it can highlight what sin they had in them. So that God could show them, like, you know, I'm the salvation standing in front of you. And I'm just going to shift another gear into what these ways of Christ, or what the way of Christ looks like, and then kind of see how we can land it for us as a community. But the ways of Christ is this. So I'm going to go back to chapter 4, and I'm going to speak from... Verse 5 up until 11. It says, You adulterous people. And what's beautiful about this passage, is, I know it sounds bad, but what's beautiful about this passage is in a lot of manuscripts, it is adulteresses. So, what God is literally saying to this church is, He's saying that He's using the analogy of them being His wife and Him being the husband. And He's saying, you adulterous people, adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And it's not, don't be friends with people in the world, or people who are not Christian. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's literally saying that if you indulge in the things of the world because of your sinful desires, it's actually, you're going against who God is. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reasons that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Uh, well, actually, I don't need to go on. You can read chapter or verse 11 by yourself. But isn't that awesome? That he's busy literally talking about the sin that's in us and the selfish desires in us. But then he says, humble yourselves to me. Submit yourselves to me. And then I will lift you up. And it's even crazy. It says that he, it says here in, now I just need to find it. In verse 6, he says, but he gives us more grace. When we acknowledge the sin that is in us, when we acknowledge when we're not matching up the difficulty of this, this conflict within ourselves and who God is, He actually says that He will give us more grace, favor to be transformed. So I let go of my selfishness. I realize that actually a lot of the times I'm not right. Nicole's always right. Told you I'm practicing. She's always right. Then what happens then? All jokes aside, but when I realize that I'm not always right, the sense of entitlement, the sense of, of selfishness, that it's always about me, it, it, it starts to fade away because the Spirit is working in me. And he's busy transforming me. He's making me new. When I was once selfish, now I'm becoming a little less selfish 
when I realize that I've got a greed problem because the Lord has been telling me to help this person and I refuse because I love my coffee. And then I start to submit to God and I realize that actually the way that I'm living is not always in line with the way God is asking me to live. And I say, God, I, I repent of this. What does he do? He comes alongside me. He gives me grace, the favor to overcome my inner conflicts. And then somebody puts a hundred grand on your desk. That actually happened to me. Somebody puts money on your desk and it's like a challenge kind of thing. But it's a cool challenge because the Lord has given me favor to overcome something that I would struggle with. And then instead of me being greedy, I start to adopt generosity as a way of life. And I just want to say it's not so that you can satisfy your own desires. It's literally so that you can glorify God. Because anyone who says that I'm a Christian, you're literally saying that you follow Christ. Jesus said that if you love me, you'll, do as, you'll, you'll follow my commandments. You'll do as I told you to do. We do this out of the love for Christ. I'm going to jump to chapter 5 again. I told you it's just an overview. I'm not going to go in too much depth. But in chapter 5, from verse 7, we're going to start seeing a little bit of the fruits of, of what this looks like to follow Christ in all His ways, in who He is. And it starts like this. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the, farmers, the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, and as, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have per, uh, persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So where I might be going through some form of trial or some really difficult situation just like these Christians were going through. I can complain all I want. I can claim that I'm right. I can, you know, I can ask God to just take me out of this and throw like bags of, of gold at me and stuff, which sounds great and all. But then I'm trying to build my own kin and I'm not really loving God. I'm just loving what God can do for me. What he's actually saying is that we need to learn how to be patient. I mean, being in traffic, I don't want to be patient. It's horrible, especially when I'm late. But maybe that small step of patience is creating something far beyond Stephen. It's birthing Christ in me who can outright be a testimony to the person that's next to me and I don't even know it. And this patience, this endurance that he's talking about is not just like, okay, every single morning you're just going to wake up, you're just going to conjure up strength and just going to be like, today I'm going to be patient. I don't think that's how it works. It's more of a, God, you see my suffering, you see what I'm going through, give me the grace to persevere today. Give me the grace to actually walk through this child, to walk through the suffering that I'm busy walking through. Because you see, you hear the cries of the workers in the fields. You see it, Lord. You're God of justice and you see this. But help me to persevere. Help me not to get all, you know, prideful and stuff and then start a rebellion because people are treating me wrong. Help me to adopt the spirit of humility, to humble myself to you today, to take on today with perseverance. Because I don't know about you, but I've been through some stuff in my life, and the only thing that often kept me going was knowing who God is. Straight through, like, it was God. And no matter how difficult the situation was, no matter how desperate I felt, 
knowing God was enough for me to persevere through just because I knew who he was, because I understood that he wasn't going to leave me. I understood that he loves me and that he cares about me because he is good. And there's this real call for us. I mean, look at Job. Job, he lost everything. I would hate to be Job, but he, it happened to him. But what did God do? He went and he just restored everything. Twofold. How amazing would that be? But you obviously had to go through a lot to get there. The whole point of it is this. We can claim to hold on to something and, and our way of doing things and the world's way of doing it. Because in the world's sight, what you're going through is not okay. But in God's sight, He's like, I know it's not okay. But there's greater purpose to what you're going through. And I'm calling you to that. Because there's a kingdom that's coming for you. And that kingdom is very different to your reality on life. My reality is so different. It's, that's why there's such a contrast. So I'd say this for us as believers here today. If you are going through something, trust in God. But don't just trust in God because, you know, just something that I must do. Trust in God because He is good. And trust in Him to give you that endurance that often produces character and maturity because it's something that He produces. And if we go more into the Scripture, it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Harsh words, but it's true. And I thought about this. I, I really thought about this because I'm the kind of person that says, yeah, no, I promise I'll do it. I promise. Why do I need to promise? If I didn't add the promise, was I not going to do it? Was I not committed the first time? And it's like, even if I had to take it back to chapter one with that thing of, you know, you, you look into the, the word but don't just look into it and be like, oh, that's great, man. Motivation for the day. It's look into the Word, but actually do the Word. Live a life of integrity. Because that's what God is calling us to do. And remember, it comes from a space of humbling ourselves. Everything that I'm talking to you about now comes from one space. It comes from the space of humbling ourselves before God. Because it's only when I humble myself before God is there grace for me to live with integrity. So I guess for me it's beyond time. I don't know what it looks like for you guys. But live a life of integrity. Even if it's in the smallest of things. But there's a grace for you to do it. You're not doing it on your own. It's not like you have to wake up every day and I'm going to be integrity. I'm putting it on now like the arm of God. Integrity. No, just Ask God to help you stay on time. Ask God to help you. Whatever you need to do. If you make a commitment, ask God to help you bite through even if you don't want to do it. If you said that you're going to go out with your friends on Saturday nights and then Saturday comes and you're like still in your PJs and you don't want to get ready, you made the commitment, bite through and go because that's what God is calling you to do. Be a person of integrity. And he carries on talking. I almost lost my place. He said, and this is like more of the really practical signs of things. Is there anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone unhappy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person, the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So whoever has been raining, I've prayed for rain. Good on you, modern-day Elijahs. Again, he prayed. 
and the heavens gave, the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. My brother and my brothers and sisters, if anyone should wander from the truth, and someone should bring the person back, remember this: whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. What an interesting way to end off, James. This is the core. Live a life of transparency in community. If you're sick, tell people you're sick and ask them to pray for you. What's interesting about this oil, though, the, you know, the oil that the anointed them with, I actually went and read up on that because I was like, this is kind of confusing. It's like there's so many oils and anointings in the Bible, and it's just like, is that like an anointing so that the power can come on them? Is it like an anointing so that they may be the king? Or, you know, there's so many anointings and oils and all of these symbolic meanings. But it was quite interesting that the oil back then, often in Middle Eastern um, cultures, oil was used for medicinal uses. So they would literally have oil. So if somebody was sick, there would be a type of oil that would kind of help them. So you... You ate the wrong food, and now your stomach is, ah, and then it's like, (laughs) go to these elders, and then they'll give you oil because it would be good for your stomach. That kind of um, oil. So I guess in our context right now is that if you're sick, well, we've got a paramedic here who who probably knows what kind of medicine to give you. Other than that, we can pray for you and trust that the Lord will heal you. I'm just trying to make this really practical for us because this is the community that James is busy talking to at the moment. And what does that mean for us? If, if you want to confess your sins, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go all the time and confess your sins to this and this and that person because most of the times they probably don't want to know what kind of sin you got up to. But it's just this picture of be transparent. If you're struggling with something, Come to people who care because we're a community that is built together, not just individually. We need to break away from that mentality of individual Christianity. It's, it's not a biblical one. The gospel is always communal. And James is, is literally telling the community that if you are struggling, be transparent with your community because they're there to help you, to encourage you, to edify you. That's the purpose, other than glorifying God together. But it's in those spaces that God is glorified in community. And just even thinking about you being a light in the world, and, and we, we, our, our theme is arise and shine. It's just what are we arising to and what are we shining for? Arise because the Holy Spirit is in you and shine because God is good. It's His goodness shining through you. And, and if we really want to summarize James, I actually have, I don't know who this theologian is. I just saw it on a commentary and I was just like, okay, this is cool. Because it really fits. It's just so amazing. He summarizes the message of James and he says, The purpose of this potent letter is to exhort the early believers to Christian maturity and holiness of life. This letter deals more with the practice of the Christian faith than with its precepts. James told his readers how to achieve spiritual maturity through a confident stand, compassionate service, careful speech, contrite submission, and concerned sharing. He dealt with every area of Christian life, of a Christian's life, what he is, what she does, what he says, what she feels, and what he has. And I just I spoke a little bit about the ways of the world and what was highlighted. It was just it's this selfishness, pride, and greed. And then we so often wonder, like, Lord, why aren't you answering my prayers? I want that BMW. I want a fat wallet. No, really, we all do. But why aren't you answering me, Lord? Well, if we call ourselves Christians. And maybe it's time that we start acting like it. If God is calling us to walk in this light, to walk in the ways of Christ, then we need to realize 
that it's His glory, that it's not my glory, it's not our glory, it's not what this church can do that that church cannot do, what that church can do that we cannot do. It's God who's good, who came to reconcile us to Him because He's sovereign, because He's good. And we live for Him and we love Him because He loved us first. And then we become patient in trials. We endure. We live lives with integrity. We live lives that are transparent. Not because we want to take on the stance of holiness so we can look good, but we want to take on the stance of holiness because we want to show people who truly is, who truly is holy. We want to take on the stance because there's a God that needs to be glorified. Not that He needs to be, but for us, we need to glorify Him. There's a God who is mighty in all His ways. And He's given us this opportunity not just to sit here and sing songs which are good and then listen to a word and then walk away and be like, oh, that was great or that wasn't great. It's to really, really acknowledge the conviction of the Holy Spirit before us, respond to that conviction with a heart of genuine repentance so that the Holy Spirit can come and transform us. So we are not just people who talk about God as if He was somewhere in another room, but that we are people who literally talk about God as if He was right here with us now. And yeah, at Hatfield, yeah, <laughs> extended to the different communities around us, there's a call for us to really check ourselves. Because sometimes when we think we arrived, the Lord will put a Friday morning in front of you that makes you realize that you haven't. Sometimes when you think that you've arrived and you mature in Christ, God will allow you to go through a trial because you might have achieved a, a sense of maturity but we never really achieve the completion of that. But he's calling us and inviting us as a community, brothers and sisters in Christ, to really gaze upon his beauty and live as if we have, instead of talk about it like we really haven't experienced it ourselves. So just to finish off, I don't know what anyone is going through. I'm, I'm maybe know one or two people and what they're going through here. But majority, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you're battling with. I don't know what issues you have. But I do recommend this one thing. That when you're in your own time or when you're with a group of friends, however you want to do it, read this book together. And when you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to really show you where you're getting it wrong. Not so that you can be condemned, so that you can be transformed. This is the call. God is saying, let go of the ways of this world and really walk in what I have for you. Watch your tongue. Let go of the wisdom of the world. And embrace the wisdom from above. Embrace this understanding of what my kingdom is. And let it transform your inner being. So people can see God. And gaze upon God through your life. Let go of immaturity and cling on to eternal perspective. So whatever it is that God is highlighted in you, whether it's greed or just something from a few weeks ago, ask the Holy Spirit for grace 
so that you can look a little bit more like him. Because isn't that our goal as Christians, that we want to we serve God and we just want to glorify him. And I'm just going to close off in a prayer. And, and that's my challenge for you guys. While there is an evening service, and if you do, if you do go to the morning service, this is my challenge for you, to really embrace that. Because it's not, a, oh, you're so bad. It's a, this is, yeah, but I want to remove that so that you can, you can receive the new things that I have for you. And then also just for anyone, because we want to be really practical and really biblical, right? If there is anyone who is struggling, just in general in life, if you are struggling with something that you're going through, whether it was, you know, something that, that like a sin or whatever that you feel separating you from who the Lord is, or whatever it is, I'm going to invite you afterwards with a couple of our leaders. Just, we'll just be chilling here in the front. And if you want prayer, please come forward. Because we want to, we just want to be a community that just helps each other. Amen. So Father, I just pray that as we go our separate ways, Lord, even in such a simplistic message in itself, Father, I just pray that whatever way of the world is in us, that, that you might have highlighted in us already. Lord, I pray that you will give us just that grace to overcome it, Lord. That grace to let go of the old and embrace the new. And Father, I just pray your, your Holy Spirit be with us and help us to be a people who don't just read your word, but really do what you're asking us to do. In however form. I thank you, Lord, for the journey that you have us on and just who you are and how amazing you are. And, and I, I really just pray that that will be the impression that, that motivates us, that drives us to letting go of the things that don't belong to you, Lord. Thank you that it's not our kingdom but that it's yours and we just get to love you. Be with each and every single one of us as we leave this place and just, I just pray for special times of community, family, friends over the holidays and just for awesome rest, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.